Hello and welcome to the Stephen Glenn Show. This is episode two. Today I'm going to go through some questions that I... So it's going to be a Q&A day. So I'm going to go through some questions that um, people have actually been asking me since I started this podcast and since I started all my social pages. I've been getting quite a few inquiries. So I thought I'd just run through some of what those questions are and just give you some answers to them. So without doubt, especially around this time after a property price cycle like we just had or are, are having is what if the property price drops? I think that's definitely number one. And over over the last few years, definitely as I've been t- trying to talk people into buying property, the number one question has always been, what if the property price drops? That's what people are afraid of. So let's address that here now. What if the property price drops? Well, it absolutely is going to drop. That's the first thing. At no, at no point uh, throughout history has property prices never dropped, right? It's going to go up and it's going to go down. So that's the first thing to realize that at some stage, your property definitely is going to drop. So let's just get that out of the way, first of all. But I think more specific, what people are actually talking about is what if the property price drops after I buy it and I bought it for 1 million and 12 months later, I could have bought it for $900,000. I think that's what people are afraid of. Well, the example I would give that, and I just put a post on my social media about that, was at the start of the pandemic, all of the big banks, major economists were all forecasting. I think they're like their minimum, their minimum, their base case was like drop of 20%. And most of them were going at like 30% drop across the real estate market. And not only did it not drop 30%, it actually went up 30%. So 60% spread on that. So if you had to listen to that commentary, you would be out, say, if you bought a million dollar property, you'd be out around $300,000 on average in Sydney or Melbourne or across Australia, really, because it was pretty much an Australian phenomenon, even more in Brisbane. But if, 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 if you were to, if you were to listen to that, like if you were to listen to it now, it's like, do you think property price is going to drop, right? Every single article now is property prices are going to drop. Are they going to drop? I don't know. I don't know. So if teams of economists got it so wrong, horribly wrong, <laughs> if teams if teams of economists can't get it right, do you think you're going to be able to get it right? Do you think you're going to be able to time the market? And it's just it's un it's unrealistic expectation of yourself to try and time the market perfectly like that. So and plus just on a side note, if property actually went up thirty percent across Australia, if you were to only get a thirty percent return on your property, you should be very disappointed with yourself because that's the median property price. That means that was the middle property sold went up 30%. So if you can't even do better than the middle, that's just a, a lack of knowledge. You, you didn't buy and do the research and do buy an investment grade property beforehand. So I think the spread across my portfolio is about 55%. It's up over the last couple of years. So that kind of learning beforehand, investing in yourself to create that knowledge to allow you to actually make more money, outperform the market, right? You don't want to just be sliding along with it. There's so many things you can do. And if the property market goes down 10%, again, that's the median. That's not, that's not the, that's not every property, right? So even if it goes down 20%, that's not every property, right? So the good investment grade properties, they're going to hold value more than other just a mid-level line average property. So again, that's, there's ways to educate yourself out of that risk. And that's extremely important in my opinion. So. Back to the question, what if the property price drops? It's absolutely going to drop at some stage. Do I care? No, I don't, because you're not buying a property for a year, two years. Put it this way. If you buy a million dollar property and it goes down to nine hundred thousand dollars, 
in 30 years time that property is going to be worth 8, 9, 10 million. Do you think you're going to say in 30 years time when it's worth 8, 9, 10 million, you're getting 60, 70, 80k in cash flow off that property that, God, I really wish I had have purchased that property for 900,000 rather than a million. No, you're not. It's ridiculous. It's, 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 it's so, it's going to be such a small number at that time and the property has grown so much that you're not really going to care. So, um, moving on to the next question I often get, I think that's, that's definitely number one. Number two is, what if I can't get a tenant? People are really afraid of not being able to get a tenant. I've noticed that throughout the years. It's, it's something that, I don't know, it's just, a, it's a fear people have that they will have to pay the mortgage themselves and they won't be able to get a tenant. So, Again, it's important to note that your property will absolutely be vacant sometimes. You, you won't have a tenant. Tenants move in, they move out. When you actually buy a property, when you purchase a property, when it settles, it's vacant then, right? Like So it, it, you absolutely will have times when it, you, the property won't be tenanted and you will be paying the mortgage. But you factor that all in in your costs before and your strategy. I think we do. we factor in about five weeks of vacancy per year. Now, I've never had that. The most vacancy I think I've ever had is about seven or eight days vacancy. So I don't. So maybe it's important to understand what vacancy rates are. So a vacancy rate in a suburb is if it, so. A vacancy rate is how many properties are for rent as opposed to the total rental stock in a suburb. So things you can do you can do to mitigate um, that not having a tenant is work on the vacancy rate. So you can look at the vacancy rate history of a suburb. And if they're generally low, there's not much rental stock in that market. And that can mitigate your tenant risk. Also, you can do things like school school zones, getting in a really popular school zone. They're always going to be going to be very easily tenanted there. It's just going to be it's just going to be something you can educate your way around again. So again, all this comes back to education. But so what if I can't get a tenant? It's unlikely. It's unlikely you can't get. You're not never going to be able to get a tenant for a property. The worst thing that is probably going to happen is you won't be able to get maybe the money you want. Right? You want say if it's four hundred fifty dollars a week you want, maybe you're only going to get four twenty or four ten. So the best way to think about that is think about the property you live in now, wherever you live. If you, if you get six hundred bucks in that, if you pay six hundred bucks for that property now, just say you moved out. Do you think if somebody if the landlord offered five hundred bucks, they wouldn't be able to get a tenant, right? They would, you know they would. So the worst you could do is not be able to get the money you want and then you would have to pay a little bit more of the expenses. So that that's kind of my take on the, what if I can't get a tenant? Should I buy near where I live? This is another very common question. And my answer to that is no. You should not be looking at buying where you live simply because it's close to where you live. Australia is a big place. The Eastern Seaboard, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne in particular is where I mostly mostly people would advise to buy in those places. Think there's just for your budget, again, this was a million dollar example. If you have a million dollars to spend, the likelihood that that the best place for you to buy at that budget is going to be within a five kilometer radius of your house is just a bit absurd. Not saying that that can't be, you could be very lucky at your purchase price that you maybe that is the best place to buy close to you, to you. But for the vast majority of people, it's not for whatever budget they have. And I noticed that a lot in the bigger cities, especially in Sydney, Melbourne, that maybe they're at the lower end of the budget that going towards the Brisbane is, is a lot more feasible for them, especially since property prices have skyrocketed over the last couple of years. 
If you have a million dollars to spend today, that's a, I, I, if I had a million dollars to spend on a property today, I would spend that in a different place than I would have two years ago. So just because it's a constant moving target and the best place to buy. So a million dollars in Brisbane might buy a, a four bedroom house close to the water. A million dollars in Sydney isn't going to get you a whole lot. So maybe to get anywhere close to the city, you're talking an apartment there. So is is the million dollars best spent in a house or is it best spent in a apartment in the city? So there's so many different nuances to it and buying where you live is is not important at all. You have different, you have buyer's agents going to be using building and pest inspectors. You don't even have to inspect it. I've never seen some of the properties I own. So you don't even have to go up and look at them. That's, that's something that people don't realize as well. You won't have to inspect them. Your property managers will inspect them every three months. You don't even have to go up before you purchase the property. Now, you can if you want to. You absolutely can if you want to. You can fly up to wherever it's in your own city. You can just go to see it. But you do not need to, especially as you start adding more properties and building your portfolio. It's less and less likely you're going to do it, right? You're just getting more and more secure in the process. You're trusting the process. Trust the buyer's edge. So should I buy a home or an investment property? That's another very common question. And that answer is completely dependent on yourself. I, I can give you what I do. I rent vests. So that means I rent where I live and I invest elsewhere. Number number one reason I do that is because when we started out, it was the goal is to make the most money possible. The goal for us was to make the mall make the most money possible. And if you want to make the most money possible, rent vesting is the way to do that because you can every time you buy a property if you own, if you live where you actually own your own home, if you live in that house, you can't offset things like um, interest, council rates, insurance, maintenance. You can't offset all those things against your tax, and that that is a big that is a big expense, and that could be as you build your portfolio, that could be tens of thousands every year. So if you buy your house in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, wherever you're at, as opposed to investing in them places, it will cost it. The opportunity cost of that is is quite a lot. So if you're just talking about financial terms, rent vesting is the most financial financially sound way to do it. But that being said, if you if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to rent, you want to own your own home, you want to put new shelves in it and all that, I don't you shouldn't be looking at that on a financial basis at all. It should be what you want. So if you actually do want to just buy your own home for your own family, so your own kids, you don't have to worry about the landlord up in the rent or not being able to do all these maintenance or build the renovation or anything like that. You should absolutely buy your own home. I wouldn't even be worrying about the, the opportunity cost of losing out on money that way because it's just not what you want. So you, you want to be happy first and then worry about the money after. But if you're just talking about on a purely financial basis, due to being able to offset all that money, it's it, like just think of a million dollar loan if it's four percent interest, that's forty grand a year. That's forty grand. Now you're able to offset against your taxable income, not even including maintenance and all these other expenses. So it all adds up over time. And rent vesting, rent vesting can be very useful because number one, you can afford to, you can get to live where you want to live that you mightn't be able to afford to live. So Sydney is a particularly good example of that because you might be able to afford to live in the inner city where you live, like where I live, it might be a terrible investment, which it would be high-rise apartment blocks. Um, you might be able to afford to live in that really good school zone you live in in the inner city of Sydney, Melbourne, or even Brisbane. It's 
it's unrealistic, right? Like even an apartment costs one and a half to two million in some of these really good suburbs. So it might be just unrealistic. So that's another re- great reason it can be rent where you want to live and invest elsewhere. So you're doing two things at once. You're walking and chewing gum. So it, it can be very, very helpful. Um, so should I invest, should I buy a home or investment property to summarize? Completely depends on yourself. If you want to make the most money possible, have a look at rent vesting. If you want to buy your own home because you've always wanted a family home, do that first, learn a bit of equity build, and then go into an investment property. Again, you can do both of them. It's not an either or, but an and. So how long does the process take? Another common question. The process can take anywhere from two months to, you can be, you can go very fast. That's what a lot of people don't realize. You can get your finance very fast, three, two to three weeks, you could get approved, fully approved, especially if you're just a couple on a salary to the two you have salaries and you're not a contractor, can be a bit more, small bit more complex if you're a contractor. But if you're two people just on a salary basis, you could get approved very fast. And if you have the relevant income and so forth, so that could be two or three weeks. And then all of a sudden, then you're working with your buyer's agent and then that can go very fast as well. That could be two to three weeks. You could find an off market property like that suits what you're looking for. And within, say, if you just started today, you're like, right, let's go for it. Within six weeks, you could own a property. Now that's at the more maybe extreme end of it. But I have done that, like, I think for one of our properties, it went even faster than that. It went like about four weeks we had a property because just an off-market property came up and that, it just went for it. It's just like, if something comes up like that, be prepared to go fast as well because if something comes up and it's in your budget and it, it might be a bit scary, it might be like the third property you looked at and you're like, God, I don't know, should we buy the third property we looked at? But if it takes all the boxes, if the growth projections and it's in an area, it's a house you want, a four bed, two bath, and in the area you want it, it comes up if it's off market or it's even at auction or whatever, if it suits your brief. Remember, this is the, the property you're looking at this, you're not probably going to be very emotional because physically you can see it. It's not like buying a stock, but you need to be very unemotional. These things, you're just looking at the figures. You're not, and it's important to realize every house is going to have flaws. No matter what, any house I've ever looked at has flaws. My defense might be need fixing. My every house that has bricks is going to have cracks in the brick. You might say like, "Oh, why is the buyer's agent showing me a house that has cracks in the bricks?" Well, he wouldn't be able to show you a house that didn't have cracks in the bricks unless it was only built twenty minutes ago. So it's important that these things. They're it's not going to be perfect. No house is going to be perfect. It's going to have different problems. There might be a leak in tap or. I, don't, I might need a new carpet before you actually tenant a person, a tenant, tenant the property. So they're just things to be aware of. They're not like, they're not things to, oh, this has a dodgy fence. I'm not buying this property. It's like, no, this fence is going to cost 3000 to fix. So we're just adding that now to the cost of the property. That's, that's all you're, that's all you're doing. So it's not nearly, like I said, nearly every property is going to have something. So it's just important to note that the, you're not actually going to get a, a perfect property so um some of the other questions I, I often get is do what property professionals you need so generally you're going to need a mortgage broker an accountant uh buyer's agent conveyancer or solicitor somebody to do a strategy up front because if you think about it now again the using example i have is like oh i could pro- probably borrow five hundred thousand. what even state do you go in 
So that you need somebody to actually strategize that first, right? Like it's like, what, I, I have X amount of money. What, what state do I buy in? So you need to get that strategy, that individual property strategy going up front and then move on to, before you even look at a mortgage broker or a, a buyer's agent, because you can't look at a buyer's agent until you know what state you buy in, right? So before you do any of that, you need to strategize where you're actually going to buy property. Then we can move on to then move on to the mortgage broker. So buyer's agents actually won't even so you need so you need a financial strategy as well before you actually go to a mortgage broker. So you need to be you need to be educated on that as well. Because if you're not educated on what sort of finance strategy you want to use with a property, do you want to use eighty percent LVRs or do you want to actually use LMI, which is lenders mortgage insurance and what sort of an offset account do you want? Do you want a hundred percent transactional offset account? Do you all, all these things you're going to go fixed. Are you going to keep some of it fixed and some of it variable so you can use your savings in your offset account? So if if what I just said there sounds like double dutch, then if you walk into a mortgage broker and say some of that stuff, you're now allowing him to make the financial decision for you. So the property is the biggest purchase people will ever make in their life. And they go into it not knowing anything, letting these people make financial decisions for you. Number one, they don't go to investment savvy mortgage brokers, which they absolutely should be, because it's it, somebody that knows what they're doing and and what what actual uh, products would suit their strategy. Um, it they they will they will be extremely helpful as opposed to just a mortgage broker that just works at one of these sort of the franchise places. So it's very important to get the right mortgage broker, but even before that, to actually strategize to what. What do you actually want from this property? Because if you just walk into a mortgage broker and say, okay, well, I, I have X amount. How much do you think I can get? He's going to show you different loan products and suggest something for you that might not even be the best thing for you and your cash savings and your goals and your budget. So it's very important to actually have a financial strategy before you even go in there. So you're not just letting some random guy make this, all your biggest financial decisions in your life for you. So you need to be educated in that front because... Remember, you could go into a mortgage broker at two o'clock. It could be the two o'clock appointment, two to three. He has another appointment at three to four, right? So if he has an off day and he and he recommends a product for you that you're there, oh, yeah, he sounded like he knew what he was talking about. It might not be the best product for you at all. So if you don't know what you're talking about, you're just leaving it to him. And I don't know about you, but I don't like leaving the biggest financial decision of my life to somebody that has another appointment directly after me making another important financial decision like that, so... Number one, you need financial strategy. Number two, you need financial education to actually know what they're talking about when you go into a mortgage broker. And the third is actually using a mortgage broker. Some people just go directly to their banks, which is a terrible idea because mortgage brokers have access to all bank products, big four banks, smaller banks, non-bank lenders, thousands and thousands of products. So if you just go to ANZ, Commonwealth, NAB or Westpac, one of the big four, they're only going to show you their products. They have like four products and they might not be right for you at all. They might not be the best interest rate. Every bank assesses interest rates are your borrowing capacity differently. So your exact set of financial circumstances today, at one of the big four banks, they might give you a, mi a million dollar loan. At one of the smaller banks, they might give you 1.2 and at a cheaper interest rate. So every bank assesses borrowing capacity completely different so just going to the one bank and saying the bank that you bank with generally people go into right they'll just go oh i, I bank with anz i'm going to walk in here to anz and see how much they'll give me it's a terrible idea 
because they won't they'll just give you the four products they have and like oh it's thousands and thousands of products is it likely that that their product is the best that's not likely and a lot of people are afraid to go to the smaller bank the smaller banks and they kind of like see the the big four as safety but some of these larger smaller banks again of course this isn't financial advice but you should talk to your mortgage broker about this but um some of the smaller banks that i bank put it this way i can tell you what i do i have loans at the big four banks smaller banks and non-bank lenders so we use them all and if uh, if you look into the banks a lot of the banks actually have government guarantees of up to 250k for your deposit safety or for funds that you have deposited in the bank so you can actually look up that online on the ASIC website so if that's something that is important to you um generally anything with a bank in its name so anything that is not a non-bank lender will have that but again you can look up that online just to see which banks have it if that is very important to you but again most people use a lot of them so um but buyer's agents then to do I get that question a lot. Do do you actually need a buyer's agent? And the the answer to that is absolutely yes. It's a resounding yes. Um, I use buyer's agent every single time I bought a property and will buy a property. Any property, any any serious investors use property agent, property buyer's agents every single time. And that to go back to that the reason for that is to actually go back to the example of. If you had a million dollar property in Sydney and it went up only 30% over the last two years, you should be really annoyed at yourself. And that's just the truth. So some people that might be like, God, it went up 300 grand. Isn't that enough for you? It's like, no, it's not. It could have, it could have went up 45 or 50%. It's like you just, to me, you just lost 200 grand. If you can't beat the median, it's, I don't know what we're doing here because that's the whole reason for investing in property is to make the most money. So like a little bit of education up front could, it, if you extrapolate that out over 30 years, it's millions of dollars. Like it was, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars over two years. So you think over 30 years and as you, that's only one property, as you build a portfolio of four or five properties, it's millions and millions and millions of dollars. So just for just a small bit of education up front, it's worth millions of dollars. So think how many hours you spend in work. I think the average wage in Australia is about a thousand bucks. So you spend 50 hours in work a week for a thousand bucks, but people aren't willing to invest in themselves to do a course for a few hours, 10, 10 hours or a, read a few books, maybe a hundred hours up front, which is what, two weeks of work to make millions of dollars at the back end. So if you're not willing to invest in that, you're just going to go along for the ride. So um, absolutely, I would recommend getting extremely knowledgeable about it up front before you do anything. Because I was just about to make all the mistakes in the book as well. I was just about to buy in. I think I spoke about this in the last podcast. I was just about to buy where I live. Um, it's a suburb with just a lot of high-rise apartments. I was just about to do that. I was just like, oh, let's buy an apartment here because I live here. I went into my own bank and said, I was just like, okay, let's see how much they'll give me. And they would have given me the money to buy that. And only I just, I don't even know why I did it. I just maybe read a book. I think maybe the rich dad poured that book. And I just slowed down and was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I, I haven't a clue, so I need to educate myself. And then slowing down for a couple of months, educating myself, however long that took, and then going go and doing it properly has already made me probably, there's probably not a million miles off a million dollars now at this stage because of that. Because otherwise I would have just bought here and the apartments close to where I live are pretty much the same price as they were when I, when I bought the property. So it would have been horrible. I would have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
if I didn't educate myself properly. So that can be the, the power of educating yourself. So I'd highly recommend it. Um, yeah, that'll bring us to the end of the show. Thank you. I'll be returning to the interview podcast next week. A uh, very special guest on, friend of mine, owns a large company in Sydney, so stay tuned for that. Um, and just a word of nothing today that you heard is financial advice. It's um, it's for educational and entertainment purposes only, and you should always contact your financial advisor to seek financial advice. Thank you for listening.